Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Maxine Clark. Maxine is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Build-A-Bear Workshop, a teddy bear-themed retail entertainment experience. There are more than 370 Build-A-Bear Workshop stores worldwide. Maxine lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and the USA. She's the author of The Bear Necessities of Business, Building a Company with Heart. She is an innovator in the retail industry. On the board of directors of the J.C. Penney Company, on the board of trustees of Washington University in St. Louis, and a chair of Teach for America in St. Louis, and also a member of the Teach for America National Board. Maxine Clark and I spoke about her life and her leadership. In this podcast that follows, she offers numerous lessons that have made her life and leadership so successful. And now, we begin this month's podcast of National Leader of the Month, Maxine Clark. How about a favorite quotation, and who is it coming from? One of them, I think this came from Oprah, but I know she said it before. I don't know whether she was the originator of it, but um, life isn't about what you have. It's about what you have to give. And then there's another one that I, I like, too, uh, that, again, I have no idea who said it, but I saw it on a poster, and I wrote it down, and I kind of keep it in front of me all the time. If, if, and it's, if one can live their imagination, then there's, their life is a dream come true. And would you connect that to Build-A-Bear? Uh, yes, uh, both of those I would. I would say that I've always had a wild imagination and kind of a kid-like imagination, and my life has sparked my life, my job, my life, um, all the things that my job has afforded me have given me um, the chance to uh, live my life beyond my wildest imagination, go places I never would have thought I would have gone, meet people I never would have thought I would have met, and be able to do things with the um, proceeds of that success um, that, you know, make a difference for a lot more people than I could have ever imagined. And so they both tie together in a way for me. Sure. You know, when you speak about that going to different places and, and traveling, is there a place in the world that you most like to visit? Well, I've only been there two times, but one of my um, it's become one of my favorite places, and that is South Africa. Okay. And I like it for all of the historical significance that it plays in the world, as well as its beauty, its natural beauty, and also all of the potential of the people that live there that have yet to be able to fulfill their wildest imaginations like I have. Sure. Any particular regions in South Africa? You know, I've been to Johannesburg and Cape Town, and I've been to Botswana, and I would say that every the people, you know, different cities, a little bit different twist on the people, but uh, it's a, a wonderful country with tremendous um, passion and commitment and talent and creativity and it has a lot to give the world, and I think in the next um, few decades we're going to see a huge impact positively on our world from South Africa, the people of South Africa. What about a favorite book, and then 
in addition to maybe a favorite book that you have, are there any other books that you would recommend for aspiring leaders? Uh, well, my very favorite book I've ever read in my life, I've read it a couple times, is The Road to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. Okay. And I, I liked it so much because of the leader, you know, the way he grew up, how his life evolved for him, uh, and the, the difference that he made for so many other people, but the appreciation that he has for the things that he was given in this world, for his, his talents and, his, and the material things, and how he feels about freedom and, and the, the ability to voice what you believe and vote and make a difference. And so for me, uh, his words of wisdom have always been, uh, at least as long as I was introduced to him uh, through his book, have always been inspiring. Uh, I read a, a lot of business books, and I would say that um, I've read, I just finished a book, and I cannot tell you the exact, uh, who the exact author is, because there are several of them, but it's called um, We Are Is Smarter Than Me. Sure. And it's, it's a book about the Internet and and the collaboration on the Internet. And one of the authors is a man named John, J-O-N, Spector. Um, but it's a collaborative effort, so there's lots of people's name on the book. Sure. Uh, and it, 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 We Is Smarter Than Me. And it means that, the, you know, the, the colloquial world of, you know, we, the community and all these social communities that exist on the internet so it's quite provocative a book and then I read a lot of different books on you know different business uh, styles I've read I can't all of the names don't come to me but I could probably get them to you certainly but I've read books about um, Starbucks about Howard Schultz and Sam Walton and I read about presidents and I, I, I like to read about leadership and, and different leadership styles and how they've evolved and then when people ask me for a book you know if there's a book they can get that would help them you know, with their own business that they're starting up. I recommend my book, but I also recommend books about how to write a business plan and uh, books about how to, um, you know, source venture capital, uh, things like that. Different. There's a whole series of books that I recommend to people. Okay, terrific. What about your current personal passion? My current personal passion is uh, public education and how um, we can restore to public education, especially in the inner city and, and um, rural communities of America, um, the quality education. So every child, in my opinion, uh, deserves a quality, um, an excellent quality public education, just like I had when I was growing up. And I think we've gone away from that. There's so many um, parochial schools and private schools, and people have moved out to the suburbs and abandoned um, some of the institutions that made America great, including our schools. And I have a passion for the students and the families and the teachers. I think teachers are one of the most um, underappreciated financially and intellectually groups of people, and yet they have the most influence on our children, uh, and they had a huge amount of influence on me. And so one of my ways to say, to, to say thank you to my teachers is to help other teachers and help public education regain its prominence in this country and hopefully elevate the positions of teacher um, even higher than it already is. Sure. And I, I assume that you're you're kind of pursuing that passion is Teach for America. I, I know you're active in that. Is that kind of a forum that you use to pursue that passion? Well, it's one of them. Um, Teach for America is a um, was founded by a woman named Wendy Kopp, and it provides uh, you know young teachers uh, to teach for two years. They come from uh, you know the best colleges in the United States. Teach for two years. It's sort of the Peace Corps for the 21st century. Uh, and then they stay in education, but actually I'm very involved in the public school system here in St. Louis, uh, trying to help them solve some of the issues they have of dropouts and uh, attracting the best talent, 
uh, and managing their business. And, you know, so I'm involved in lots of ways in the public education system. Okay, great. What about some mentors that have positively impacted your life and your leadership? Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? Well, I've had a lot of different mentors, but I suppose my first business mentor was the, um, at the time, it was in the in 1972, it was Stanley Goodman, who was the, um, the chairman of the May Company. I happened to meet him very early on in my career, and he sort of personified for me this, you know, leader. Uh, he was a Renaissance man. He played the concert. He was a concert violinist. He was a, a businessman. He was an art collector. He was a kind man and generous man, and so he sort of... Uh, you know, stood out for me as a, um, that you can sort of be all those things. You don't have to just, being in business doesn't mean you have to always be tough. But he gave, he was speaking to a large group of us, and he said, um, he, to an audience, and he said, you know, retailing is entertainment, and the store is a stage. And when the customer has fun, they spend more money. Mm. That really resonated for me that day. It made me realize, I was actually working, um, I went to work so I could afford to go to law school. But that day, he kind of gave a purpose to my uh, career, and it made me think about it as, a, as being fun, and when people could have a good time, uh, they could spend money, and they could be connected to the products in so many different ways, and so um, that was a real turning point for me. Unfortunately, it came early in my career, so it was like, it wasn't even, I probably wouldn't even call it a turning point. I'd say it was a starting point for me. Sure. Uh, it really helped me kind of think about my career. Uh, I've had um, um, so many teachers that have that I'm still in touch with today that have helped me uh, become who I am. They're all a part of me uh, in so many ways, and a lot of times they're sitting on my shoulder advising me, uh, whether it was my English teacher who was um, absolutely had perfect grammar, and every time I go to write a sentence, I think about what she, what would she say. You know, she used to give us little tips and tricks of the trade to my mother, who was a really strong social activist for um, um, handicapped uh, uh, children, I would say they're differently abled rather than handicapped, but um, I've had very fortunate to have, um, in my nearly 60 years of, of life on this planet, had um, the association with so many incredible people, and my mentors keep evolving. So, you know, I've gone from teachers to business associates who I might have reported to that were my superiors to um, peers to um, community leaders. And I've really uh, been quite inspired by this particular political election and the cycle that we're in and how passionate um, all the candidates are about, you know, change as they see it, but making a difference in this world and being, and it's not an easy job, as we all know. And so it kind of gives you just sort of a inspiration for, you know, simpler work even. You know, it makes your work quite simple in comparison. Sure. What about advice that you would give to aspiring leaders? Okay, that leadership is about um, responsibility and accountability and that um, an inspiration. So uh, what you're doing most of the time is inspiring others to seek their full potential. And hopefully that's, you know, within, within um, the reach of your goals that you've set for your company or your church or your community, depending on what, you know, project you're leading or, or situation that you're in, but it is, it is um, so much about, you know, inspiration and motivation of others so that they can help you achieve, you know, those objectives. Uh, and when people feel motivated and inspired and they can see their place in the world and what contribution they make, they're just, there's no stopping them. 
And I think that that really is what leadership is. It's about, you know, inspiration, seeing a big vision, and then inspiring and motivating others to help you get there. And hopefully it becomes their mission and vision, and uh, they can see the opportunity that they they can fit in. Because when people are doing what they love, uh, it's something they really can connect to. Uh, they can be even more, um, you know, we like to say possum, but more awesome and make even a bigger contribution. And that's how I kind of see it. I think I've changed over time. You know, you, you know, starting out in your career, and you think of a leader as the boss. Right. Um, somebody that, you know, is your boss or your supervisor. But I think it's, today it's less about that uh, than it is about, in fact, you could be led a leader of people who don't report to you sometimes um, much more inspiring than, than the immediate, you know, reports that you have. But I think that it is, comes from so many different places, and you can be, inspi- you can be an inspiring leader um, uh, and a motivating leader and affect may- way more people than just the people that are assigned to you, so to speak. Um, if you look at your job that way, if you're just looking at it as, hey, it's my responsibility to grow from, you know, X percent profit to Y percent profit, uh, then it's a pretty cut and dry situation. But it's way beyond that. Um, it's way beyond that. It's really a, you know, a chance to really influence and and change the way you see things to something hopefully better, um, and through the passion and motivation that you can create in others. Well said. What about your most admired leaders? Uh, is there a person or a few people uh, either that is, have been active you know, in your life or from afar just from things you've read about them or, or seen uh, that you really look up to as an admired leader? I'm on the board of J.C. Penney's. Okay. And Mike Ullman, who's the CEO, is one of the people that I really admire as a business leader and as a, um, a friend and... Um, uh, mentor. He's, got, he's a, a, a very versatile leader. He's had a lot of experience in different kind of businesses. He really has a sense about the people and um, has a real vision, and he knows how to organize around that vision for you know, maximum uh, productivity and success, and everybody wins. Um, and I've really learned a lot from him. And I would say that I have a lot of other... Uh, I, I, I really do admire Oprah Winfrey. I think that she's an incredible... Um, human being, that she's used her talents and her success to drive very positive things in our culture and to have people think so much more of themselves because she thinks a lot of them. And um, I think she's quite an incredible person, the impact that she's had on business, on entertainment, on education, on society as a whole. And I'm sure that she didn't set out that way necessarily, but she's learned to use her her success in such a positive way, and I contrasted to sometimes an athlete who makes you know zillions of dollars, but you know is getting in car accidents or you know drug situations or bad situations. Oprah is an incredibly talented visionary leader. I also um, you know obviously in politics I would say that I mentioned Nelson Mandela before, but I have tremendous um, respect for him as a leader and how he accomplished the change in. Um, and in uh, South Africa that he accomplished. Um, his way may not have been my way, but the way that he did it and the, the um, support that he got from the world over, even though they never had met him. Uh, he was in a prison for 27 years, and yet the world was aware of who he was, and they were watching what was happening to him, and they were saying, South Africa, if you don't change, you know, we're not doing business with you. And he'd never met, you know, most of the people that had ever supported him in that way. 
uh, and we have gone on since then to inspire, you know, a whole generation um, of uh, young South Africans to be able to see a much brighter um, future. So I think he's a quite incredible man, and I would say that I would think that F.W. de Klerk, who was the president of South Africa when Nelson Mandela was um, released from prison and apartheid was ended, is also a person very high on my leadership list. To change your beliefs so entirely from one perspective to another and seize them with passion and, and change a whole country's direction. Um, you know, most people get to change their neighborhood or their house or whatever, but this man, you know, changed the world the world in ways we'll probably not know for a long time, but certainly changed the lives of, of South Africans um, forever. Sure. What about some leadership highlights from your life? Well, I had a great um, first grade teacher. I think this was my start. Well, actually, probably started in kindergarten because I had to repeat kindergarten. Okay. Not because I was not smart enough, but because um, I they didn't have a nursery school when um, they didn't have like you know the nursery schools in kindergarten like they have today. So you went to your church or your synagogue or your community center, and they didn't have they didn't start with pre kindergarten then. So I was my mom needed me to you know she was working and she needed me to go to school. So I went to the kindergarten, but I was like a I really should have been in nursery school. Sure. So I had kindergarten twice, but in the second year of kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Fisher, um, really helped me because she, instead of making me feel bad that I was in the class for the second time, and you know how kids can be, mm-hmm. they can, she made me you know, the leader of the class. She had me be her assistant. And so I learned really early on you know, what it's like to, um, to assist and to be seen as a leader through serving others. And it was a great moment for me. Um, I'm not sure that I articulated it exactly like that at six years old, but certainly I, I was always proud of having repeated the second grade. I mean, I've re- repeated kindergarten. Um, and and Ms. Fisher, Mrs. Fisher is a person who I will I'll always remember and thank um, for giving me that chance at, at leadership at such a young age. The other is um, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Grace, who was really an amazing teacher, and everybody can remember their first grade teacher, but she had this technique that she used in our class that was quite extraordinary. You know, when you're a little like that and you have your little cigar box that you put your crayons in and your pencils and your scissors at your desk, well, every Friday um, she used to give away, you know those red pencils that teachers grade your papers with? Yes. You can't erase them or anything. They're really, you know, indelible. <laughs> right. Um, to sharpen it up, and on Friday afternoon about 2 o'clock, uh, she would give it away to the student that made the most mistakes that week. Hmm. And... Um, it really early on taught us that, and, and really what, what, you, what a mistake was then was you'd raise your hand to spread, you know, oh, I know the answer, teacher, 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 call on me. And um, and then if you, you know, read the answer and you were wrong, you know, you would probably not raise your hand for several weeks after because you don't, no one likes to be wrong. And nobody, and especially if you're with around other kids and you get embarrassed or you feel like somebody might make fun of you. Sure. And so instead of that, she rewarded that. She rewarded trying. Now, she never gave you the pencil for, you know, making the same mistake twice or spelling the same word wrong twice. It wasn't a game to see who could get the pencil. It was a game to see who could learn to take risks and, and be rewarded um, for a right answer, of course, and also feel that, that it, it was worthwhile taking the risk. Hmm. Oh, that's a great story. Great story. Um, I have uh, my, my high school government teacher, and when I was in high school, senior in high school, um, you didn't you know, you couldn't vote yet. The voting age was still 21, but he really instilled in us a real understanding of the political process and 
um, our place in government. Now, we were, this was 19, I graduated from high school in 1967, so a very important and changing time in our country. Uh, lots of things going on, lots of things about to burst through the seams of, of American cities, as you can maybe remember or you can certainly know from history. Sure. Um, he really inspired us and inspired me particularly about voting and the importance of voting. Um, and that didn't mean just in an election, like at, you know, at the polls. That meant in your business, in your church, in your community. It's, it's, it's really, you know, there's a formal system for making your voice heard. And one of those is, is you know, going to vote and, and showing up, not just complaining about stuff being wrong, but being willing to put your vote on the line for what you believe in. And that was a really important uh, step also. And while I grew up in the 60s, and I, obviously things have changed a lot for women then, I never recall a teacher that I had that treated me anything except as a the student that I was, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, one thing, you know, I was, I was a good student, but I wasn't a grade A student, but I was an engaged student. I loved school. I loved asking questions. I loved participating in the teamwork process. And um, all of my teachers, but particularly that was Mr. Rosnick, who is today a judge in Miami, Florida, and we're, we are friends, hmm. um, is, uh, and you know what, the other thing that's funny about it is he was only about five or six years older than I was. Sure. You know, when you're in, at least when I was in school, teachers seemed older. Right, oh yes. They certainly were wiser. Now today that might not be the case. <laughs> but, so, and I had a, a college professor that inspired me and taught me about leadership and you know, there's just so many, um, um, in, in college, one of my journalism classes, uh, we read the book by Ayn Rand, and those were pretty controversial books. Sure. And how are you reading them in advertising or marketing? But they really were about the power of the human spirit and individual opportunity to take accountability and responsibility for what you do and, and for change. And um, I, I, I loved those books, and I didn't see them as, you know, communism or socialism or, you know, any of those kinds of things. I saw them as, you know, we get one thing that we're given in life is our ability, uh, and it's up to us to do with that which what we can. And nobody else can be responsible for our successes or failures except ourselves. And we have to put everything that we have uh, into that opportunity. What about traits that are most important in a leader? Well, I think uh, the ability to have compassion and passion, a compassion for the people that you work with and the world in which you work, and realize that, especially today with younger people coming into the workforce and older people getting ready to exit the workforce, so you have you know, two ends of, the, of the, the pole there, that they come from different places, and you sometimes have to put yourself in their shoes to understand how you're going to best lead them towards success. And I think that uh, you can't just think that everybody's like you anymore. It used to be that we could say that, that we all were sort of from a set one generation, but today we're not. We're all from a um, you know very different de- de- generations and much more diverse um, from lots of different backgrounds. And it's the fun of it and it's the challenge of it. Uh, and I would say that um, uh, integrity is like you know you've got to do what you say and say what you do, what you're going to intend to do, and that is never more important than today and in a business climate where so many people are depending on you for their success and they have a right to come to work and believe that they're working for honest people uh, with high integrity and um, are going to be doing things by the, you know, the book, so to speak, uh, in their best interest, not just in their own individual interest. 
And that would, you know, harken back to Enron and some of those crazy days that we can also remember. Uh, the other is, um, um, you know, accountability and responsibility. Um, and that means that, you know, you can't do everything yourself, uh, but you, ultimately the buck stops with you, but you have to inspire and encourage others to seek their level of contribution. Um, everybody, I believe everybody comes to work every day, every day at every company to um, make a difference. They don't come to sabotage the company that they work in. They come to make a, di make a difference, to make a contribution, and to make that company successful. And everybody, if you, if you hire them and you think they're a crook, then get rid of them. You shouldn't be hiring crooks, and you shouldn't be hiring people that are going to sabotage your business. Let's assume everybody hires good people. Um, when, they, when they made the job offer, they thought they were hiring somebody that they wanted to work next, next to. And you have to um, see the best in people, not the worst, and open up the possibilities um, for what can be and help them see that they can be more than they are today, but it might take some work and effort and studying and experience, but that the place that they're working in uh, um, values, values their suggestions, their creativity, their commitment to the workplace, and that we intend to keep a place, this place um, you know, fluid and vibrant and growing um, and ready for all of the people as they grow up the ladder. Um, for whatever ever whatever potential they want to seek for themselves. Sure. It, it seems like that sometimes is a challenge for not necessarily leaders, as you talked about earlier, you know, just because you're in a position of authority or, or the boss doesn't mean you're the leader. But, uh, you know, sometimes it seems like people do, or at least certain people, or maybe all of us at times, get lose sight of, of focusing on that best in people and sometimes get hung up on the worst. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying. That's just a recipe for not achieving the potential that you can in your organization. You know, I think that's true. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's also you have to create an environment where all people feel responsible for their future. And that they can, in fact, you can't read their minds. I tell people that come to work for me, I cannot read your mind. <laughs> so if you call a meeting and you need to be somewhere else because your child has a you know, piano recital that day, you need to tell me. I can change the meeting. But if you don't tell me, you can't go around complaining that I scheduled a meeting over the time that your child had a piano recital because I don't know that. Right. And, um, if you need, you know, and, and if something's not working for you, if, if you have a you're in a situation that's not working and you feel like it could be something could be improved in the company, you need to speak up. We cannot be mind readers. And if you don't speak up, you can't complain that we are we don't listen to you because you've never let us hear you. And you know I think that that so companies have to you know say that and it's walk the talk. You know that you really have to create an environment where people feel like they can come forward, where they don't have to worry about their job being lost if they see somebody stealing and they let you know about it. Or they see an idea that can be maximized. Right. Or they have a new idea, a new way of doing things, a way to save money, to save energy. They've got to feel, I mean, there's so much potential in our world. And there's, there's somebody in every single company um, that nobody will expect to be that, that leader with that creative idea. And all they need is a little encouragement and feeling that they live in, a, in an environment that, that is safe for that. And then one time, and they're rewarded for that, and they're recognized. It's not about so much about reward as it is about recognition, and they're off and running, and you've got a whole new commitment from a person. Sure. 
And I think that transitions into the next question. I was going to talk about what can organizations do to encourage leaders. And I, I mean, I'm assuming what you've just talked about kind of would, would directly lead right into that. I think one of the things you have to do is engage your associates in, in your business. And so you can't have, in today's world, the complexities of business, no leader has all the answers. But out there in the, um, in the trenches of the business, as well as with the customers of the business, are a lot of good questions and good answers. And I think that's really what you have to do is, is show that, you know, make that, that kind of uh, uh, platform available for people and make them aware that, that such a thing does exist and encouraging it. Uh, it's a, and show that you see the big picture. It's not a weakness to say that you don't have all the answers. I think my strength is I know what I don't know. And in that knowledge, I'm allowing other people to be successful because they can support me in those things that I'm not as good at. Um, and they can grow up in our company that way. And I think that's, that exists in, in, in every company. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's not a um, – and I think everybody knows it, but sometimes leaders can, leaders are um, can be insecure from time to time. Uh, business can be tough, and they can feel that, you know, gee, everybody's eyes are looking at me. I mean, all of us – in responsible positions, feel if we're any if we're worth our salt, and we're good, you know, ethical human beings, we know we have a lot of people's lives in our hands and, and their well-being in our hands, and that's a, you know if you look at it like that, you can feel you know overwhelmed, or you can feel empowered, uh, and and the way you can feel even more empowered is by bringing those people that you're responsible more into the process of helping mold the company in the way that works for everyone and is sensitive to the consumer whoever the consumer is for that company and for uh, the associates of that company. It's just, it's not, it's really like, you know, just do unto others as you would have others do unto you. It's probably the best rule of leadership I've ever known. My favorite question of all is we all, I believe we all have a story and I like to ask our leaders, you know, what is your story? Is there a story that kind of encapsulates what you're all about or a metaphor or an analogy for, for your life or your leadership or, or your place in the world? Well, I think probably the most defining moment for me was probably in my first grade class with that story I told you about the, you know, the, um, the red pencil and right. giving it away. Because it taught me very early on that it's okay to make a mistake and that you shouldn't make the same mistakes twice, but you can make a mistake and that risks can be rewarded even if you're wrong, you know, that, that you learn something in everything you do. And so if you, you know, if you never try, you'll never move from one, you know, point to another. And I think that we all, the most fear that probably people do have is of their own success. You know, what will they do if they get to be successful? You know, how will I manage this or, you know, can I do this? And, and, you know, our people that we work with, I know I've had a lot of this in my life that I've had more, uh, I'm probably more inspired by some people that work for me than they could ever be by themselves. They, they don't even, they don't realize the impact that they've had on me. Sure. Um, and, I, and I think that that idea that I learned at such a young age and that um, um, really I, it was, and I had a few teachers that that didn't sit so well with. You know, and my, but I, I, it never bothered me to make a mistake. I always felt like that was okay, and I always loved to participate in class and raise my hand and, and try. Uh, and you know, it's um, it's probably it was probably a very defining moment, and and started me on a path of, of, um, development that, who would have ever thought? You know, <laughs> it's a um, of amazing. But 
there was another moment much later in my life about um, my, one of my best friends. Today she's 21, but um, we've been friends since she was born. And, and Katie's always had a lot of influence on me. And mostly what she, um, what the best part about our friendship was, I, and I'm sure she probably wondered about this over time, but was that she allowed me, she didn't think it was weird for me to be a kid when we were together. Sure. She really thought it was okay. And so when I would come over to her house to visit her parents, whatever, she would want to go downstairs and, and play, you know, dress up or make believe. We would play Monopoly or, and she always sought me out. And I think she saw in me something I didn't, I had lost, which was that kid inside of me, that kid inside that exists inside all of us. And sometimes, you know, life just seems so complicated and so serious. We forget to look at things through the eyes of a child. And Katie awoke for me um, that in, inside of me that was very, in its own naivety and its own um, lack of um, complexity, you know, lets you see things much more clearly sure. uh, and, and for what they are rather than what, for what they might be. And then you can, once you can see what it is, you can take it to the next level. And actually, um, when Katie was about 10 years old and we were out shopping, um, for Beanie Babies, they were popular at that time, and we couldn't find one she was looking for. And she looked up at me, and we were in a store together, and she said, these are so easy, we could make these. And she meant go home to my house and do a craft project. But I immediately saw that this could be a business that we could be very successful at, that we, in fact, could make stuffed animals inside of a retail store. And I went home, and we were talking about it, and she said, no, no, I was talking about going downstairs and make in the basement, and we could make stuffed animals. I said, no, I know what you were talking about, but what do you think about this? And she thought, oh, that's so cool. That would be so cool. It would be so much fun to create a store where you could make your own stuffed animals. And we started researching it together, and I realized that she had said to me, where we can make stuffed animals. And so she was already engaged. Mm -hmm. I I could not stop doing what I was doing. I had to keep going because I didn't want to disappoint her. And there were times when I did think, you know, is this really worth it? Is this a good idea? But I always remembered when she said, we could make stuffed animals. And um, this is so cool, we have to do this. You know, she was just always about we. And hmm. she put me equal to her. And so a lot of times, you know, it's the older person making equal to the child or to the subordinate or, you know. But this was a child saying, I was equal to her, we. It's a powerful word, word we. And I realized that, you know, throughout my life, it's been something probably much more important than I <laughs> or me, um, but Katie also is very much a part of my story, and we're very good friends today. Uh, she's a wonderful young person about to graduate from college and go off into the retail world or into the consulting world. I think she'll come back into retailing, but she's going to find she's you know had some summer experience in a consultant, and I could never put a value on that friendship and what she allowed me to stay, you know, to bring back that child, and I'm still that child. I have a wild and crazy imagination again. I have, um, I can see things through many different colored glasses um, because she always reminds me that about we. And so in her eyes, I'm still, I'm, I may be 21, not 59, because that's her age today. And um, there's a lot of power in that relationship because of that equality. Oh, that's a great story. Anything else that you would like to touch on for advice? Well, I had my college marketing professor, Dr. Carter, Robert Carter, the last, well, he always, he loved what he did. It was so clear that he loved what he did, and he was a very inspiring 
um, professor, but towards the end of um, my senior year, he used to call on me a lot in class, and he stopped calling on me. And I went up to him one day, and I said, Dr. Carter, what's wrong? You never call on me anymore. He said, well, I wanted you to feel what it's going to be like when you're out in the business world when nobody, you know, you're not the most important person in the classroom or the one who studied the, there are other people that are going to know more than you. And you've got to be, you know, back to learning again. And he wasn't just doing it to me. He was doing it to all of us seniors in the in the room. And it was really a pretty provocative statement. And, it, again, it goes back to that, you know, I know what I don't know, and I'm always open to learn. But he also, he taught us to do what you love and love what you do. And that means do your, find your passion and go with it. And don't, you know, try to think of yourself in other, what other people's view of you. So if you have a passion for music or a passion for sports or a passion for art, you know, find your passion, turn it into something positive, a business, a job, a career, um, a charitable uh, opportunity, and you will always be more, more successful, whether there's money in your pocket or not. Your heart um, will be equally successful to your pocketbook. And, and sort of over time, I've thought about that more as, you know, your bank book, your, your, your financial income, or your psychic income. And, you know, that it's important for your psychic income to have be in proper balance. But you reach a per- certain point in your life, and I think I reached it at 48, um, where it's out of balance, and you need to get it back in balance. And I used to say, another way I'd look at it was, do, you know, I'd say, I, this, is my, this is, a, is my hobby, as long as I feel like I should be paying them instead of them paying me. And when that turns around, then you know it's time to get another job. Hmm. And that was sort of the way he, you know, he taught it, too, is that you've got to always have the proper balance of psychic income and financial income so that you're, you're able to, you know, and the psychic income feeds the, the financial income because if you're doing what you love, you can be so much more successful. And that means if you're a gardener, a, a, you know, a truck driver, uh, a maintenance worker, an airplane mechanic, or a doctor, lawyer, a retailer, you know, what, if you're doing what you love, you know, it, it just, the rest sort of takes care of itself. Hmm. Well, that's another, that's another great lesson. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today and, and also your wisdom. Again, commend you on your positive leadership and all, and all the lives you're touching with that. And want to wish you well and continued success with that leadership. Great. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you. That concludes the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Maxine Clark. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.